Well, good morning, everyone. As we are uh, in the second week of our Turn Off the Dark series in which we are uh, talking about how there's a lot of darkness in the world and how Jesus, as the light of the world, he came into, he was already existing, he's always been there since the beginning of creation, but he came into a dark world and didn't just turn on the light because he was the light, but he came into the world and turned off the darkness of the world in order to show us who he is as the light of the world. And so we've been talking last week about the idea of going from despair to hope and how he turns off the dark of despair. And today we're gonna be talking about fear a little bit. And so with that idea of fear in mind, you know, I thought about just saying like during the greeting time, hey everybody, share your deepest, darkest fear. It would have been really fun. Um, but no, I, we're talking about fear this morning. So I wanna share a little bit about a time in which I was really afraid. And so when I was eight years old, I was a third grader and I wanted to um, dress up for Halloween as a hockey player. Now, before any of you say, you know, why are we talking about Halloween? This is clearly Christmas. I respectfully retort in saying Pentatonix put out their Christmas album before Halloween. So I feel like we can give a little bit of a, a give and take here. Um, but no, so we, uh, third grade, eight years old, dressed up like a hockey player. So I had a jersey for the San Jose Sharks. Um, and I had a hockey stick, which in schools you can't bring because it was a weapon. Uh, and then I had a hockey mask that you couldn't wear because it's, you can't wear masks at school. But so I had it like, kind of like on top of my head that I could pull down to show people. But that, that's not the point. The point is that I, I had this costume and um, it was a little bit later. I don't know exactly how much longer it was because I've tried to forget it. But I had a moment where I woke up in the middle of the night. The room's dark. Again, I'm eight years old. And, you know, I open my eyes and to be able to just kind of look in and look around and I look in my closet, and this is what I see. So the, glow, the mask that I had had for Halloween, I didn't know it was glow in the dark. And I didn't know that it had been placed just so, you know, right side up so that I was like, oh, there's a human murderer in my room. And um, the only thing that made me feel a little bit more comfort, like I had the initial shock, and then there was a moment of like, okay, it's not a big deal because it was like only like two feet above the ground. And so either A, it's not real, or B, it would have been way scarier to have something that small with that face. But um, I share that because, you know, we're talking about, about fears and just these moments of, you know, this, this glow-in-the-dark fear is, or this glow-in-the-dark mask is not what I would consider an encouraging nightlight for an eight-year-old. Um, but instead, this idea of being able to say, when it comes to fear, you know, I, uh, when you're preparing for a sermon, uh, what happens sometimes is God may bring about various like TV shows or interviews or, or illustrations. And so, you know, part of my job is to, you know, read God, God's word, to know where we are as a congregation, but then to just be open to where the spirit may be leading with illustrations. And so one of the illustrations that came up when I was watching uh, TV this week uh, was an episode of The Office. Um, and in The Office, there's... Um, an episode called Spooked, which is the Halloween episode from their eighth season, which came out in 2011. Um, and in that episode, the, the boss is named Robert California. So this is after Michael Scott, and this is the, the newer boss. Uh, he comes in, and he kind of just starts to have a conversation with all the employees of Dunder Mifflin, this fictitious paper company that the Denisons or the people there are, are working there. And so 
he goes and he kind of finds out what each of them are afraid of. And so, you know, this person says he's afraid of snakes and, and this person says she's afraid of dirt and this person says he's afraid of being buried alive and this person says that, they're afraid, that he's afraid of mummies and he, he just kind of walks around and hears it all and, and talks. And then at the end of the episode, people are kind of arguing and it kind of just becomes this thing and he starts telling the story that he had made up on the spot. And in the story, he ties in each person's fear. And so he'll talk about this idea of, you know, someone who's afraid of snakes. And so he talks about how in this fictitious story, there's a, a baby who's in a crib and in the crib was a snake that was wrapped around the baby's neck. And so the, the man who's afraid of snakes is like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like just startling. Um, and then the person like, oh, and there's so much dirt everywhere. And, and they felt like they're being buried alive. And so the people that were like that were getting scared. And, and then he like uses these really big words to talk about from the sarcophagi, these bodies come out and the character who's afraid of mummies like isn't the sharpest knife in the drawer and so that he just goes they're mummies he's like no and so this whole scene in which he talks about different fears now I get that I could have shown you this and it would have been easier uh, but it's one of those where it was a little long and there's a word at the end that should not be uttered in church so I figured I would explain it instead but it ends with this quote where he basically tells this points people their fears puts on his sunglasses and walks away and then there's like a voiceover at the end, and it shows the different people that are there and the fears that they had discussed. And what he says in his voiceover is that fear plays an interesting role in our lives. How dare we let it motivate us? How dare we let it into our decision-making, into our livelihoods, into our relationships? It's funny, isn't it, that we take a day a year to dress up in costume and celebrate fear. And when I was uh, in jury duty years and years ago, I remember sitting there and they were interviewing some of us and they interviewed a, a juror and I don't know how it came up, but he basically started sharing about how he thought that fear was a stronger emotion than love. That, that fear is actually more motivating, more powerful in our lives. And and to be honest, if people don't have a relationship with God, I, there may be a way in which you could see that because fear is something that could be paralyzing. We have these, these things that we're afraid of, these things that we hold on to that we shouldn't. And it may be snakes and mummies and things like that, but even more so, it may be the fear of rejection, the fear of loneliness, the fear, the fear of failure, the fear of never mounting up to what we were meant to do. I mean, there are all these fears that can oppress us. And we may take a day, a year to, to dress up as things that might be frightful, but if we're not careful, we could live our lives under the shadow of those things that frighten us. And so we know that if we have a relationship with God, what does 1 John 4, 18 tell us? It tells us that perfect love drives out fear. So we know we have he within us who's greater than he who's in the world that can push back and turn off the darkness of fear. But let us take a few moments to look at the Christmas story together to see what they experienced and how that experience impacts us. So our main point for this morning is this idea that we will live either, we will either live in the darkness of fear or in the light of God's peace. We're going from fear to peace this morning, and with that thought on our minds, would you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word? Father, we thank you that you give us perfect love that can drive out fear, but Lord, we know 
that there are many fears within this room and many fears for people who are listening online later that maybe we, maybe we don't want to speak out loud, we don't want to share, it's vulnerable, it's difficult, but God, we pray that you would work in our lives so much that we wouldn't give the fear more power than it needs because God, you are in us and you are greater than the one in the world. And your love can drive out that fear to help us to experience the light of your peace. So God, as we dive into your word, I pray that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, God. We love you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in the gospel of Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Just a few verses for us this morning. If you did not bring a Bible, the church Bible is in the seat rack in front of you, and we are going to be on page 1593, 1593. But Luke 2, starting in verse 8, and we start to get the picture of this is the story of that cold winter's night, the night in which we heard, we sing about in the first Noel, where there was the shepherds that were in the fields, and the angel that revealed them himself or itself and spoke to the shepherds. And so to go in this moment, the first part of your notes underneath the main point is this idea that even in the darkness, God commands us not to be afraid. That we'll, be, we'll have times of darkness. We live in a world of darkness. But in the midst of that, we'll hear the angel's voice, the proclamation to do not be afraid, fear not. In fact, that's something we hear throughout the Old Testament, through the New Testament. Whenever an angel would reveal itself to humans, the natural response of seeing something in someone who is from the heavenly realms is fear. And we'll dive into that. But in the midst of that, he, teach, he tells us to not, God tells us not to be afraid. And so let's start in verse eight, Luke two, verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. We'll stop there. Uh, this is a few miles away from um, the fields where they are, are a few miles away, five or so miles away from Jerusalem. And so some of the uh, commentators that I was reading and commentaries I was studying talked about the idea that wouldn't it be appropriate if the angel would reveal the good news of Jesus Christ coming to a group of shepherds that they may very well be tending the flocks that those sheep would be used in the temple sacrifices. The idea that these sheep that they're watching over at night would eventually be used in order to offer up the, the perfect lamb, the unblemished sacrifice to take away the sin of the person who is bringing it. And so God chose shepherds to reveal the good news of Jesus's birth. One, because Jesus is a good shepherd. He's our good shepherd, our chief shepherd. Two, because Jesus is also the lamb of God who will take away our sins, not once in a while when we offer up a lamb, but the forever, once and for all sin, that the sacrifice happens one time so that we do not need to keep offering up sacrifices. And so isn't it appropriate, wouldn't it be apt if the angel says, I'm going to go to a shepherd in this, who are watching over sheep to know that there is a great shepherd, a good shepherd coming who's going to watch over his sheep and then to lay down his life for his sheep so they may have eternal life. And so we see this picture, and then the Israel, or sorry, the, the shepherds were also people that were looked down upon in society, that their work, working with the animals, made them ceremonially unclean. We've talked about the importance of cleanliness and uncleanliness in the uh, Hebrew understanding, in the Jewish faith. And so 
They would be unclean because of their work, working with the sheep, but then because they were traveling all the time, they wouldn't have the opportunity to go and cleanse themselves ritually through the temple. And so these were outcasts. These were the forgottens. These were the left behinds. These were the looked down upon. And God shows the forgottens and the have-nots and the looked down upons to be able to reveal his good news, to reveal the truth that Christ had come, that the Christ child was here and he was changing everything. And, and so we see here, verse 8, that's what happened. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That the right response, that when we see the bigness, the majesty, the power, the glory of God, and we recognize the smallness of who we are, and also the smallness of those words I try to use to describe, they fail to paint the picture of how big and beautiful and amazing God is. And we see that this word, this terror that they come, that comes from is, is this word that means great phobia. And we know the word phobia. If you if you have a fear of different things, that's usually has a phobia at the end of it. And it's this idea of this, this moment when we see truly who God is, not the picture of God that we think he is, what we think he looks like, when we truly see his majesty and truly see his glory, then we truly experience this great tear for he is so big and we are so small. And it's the beauty of the gospel that he who is so big came into the human frame that was so small to bring us into right relationship with him. We see a picture of the glory of God and the response of a person in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 that he gets an opportunity to go into heaven. And this is what Isaiah says in verses 6, 1 through 4 as he explains it to us. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which is a a type of angel, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That it talks about the power and the majesty of the throne room when Isaiah gets to see God. And yet here's Isaiah's response in verse five. It'll be on the screen. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That this word I am ruined is this idea of of unglued or undone, that that. I'm completely changed and I fall apart at the power and majesty of God. And the, is, the, the, sorry, the shepherds, they experience this fear of saying, the glory of the Lord shone around them when the angel of the Lord came to them. And so they were terrified. They had this great phobia. But our point under this area is that, that even in the darkness, God commands us not to be afraid. Even in the darkness and even in those times where we feel like there's no way out. As we see with most angelic visitations, like I said, they were commanded not to be afraid. In fact, the same commandment of do not be afraid in verse 10 is 
throughout the Christmas story that the Christmas story doesn't start with, hey, everybody, everything's really exciting. It says, hey, do not be afraid because an angel visited Joseph. And do not be afraid because an angel visited Mary. And do not be afraid because an angel visited the shepherds. And we look at this idea that even when we're in darkness, even in those moments where we are surrounded by darkness and fear, God says, do not be afraid. Why? Because even in our darkest moments, God is with us. Jeremiah 30, we were reading for the Advent area that fear and terror are the cries, not peace. And yet he says, even in the midst of that, I will give you, I am with you and Jacob and my people will experience peace once again. We see the same idea in Psalm 139, one of my absolute favorite uh, chapters in scripture. Psalm 139 and verse 9 and 10, it starts talking about G, uh, David is saying, Lord, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I hide from your spirit? If I go to the heights, you are there. If I go to the depths, if you are there, no matter where I am, you are with me. And then verses 11 and 12, paint this picture. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. That in our darkest moments, he sees us just as clearly as in our brightest days. And in the moments we struggle and we fear, we need not fear that we are alone. That there is good news that God is Emmanuel, or that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that we are not alone in the battle, that we can experience whatever darkness is around us. We can know that we do not need to be afraid. We may not all get an angel uh, revealing him itself to us, but we do know the presence of God through the word of God saying that he is with us. And even in our darkest moments, he sees you. In the moments when you feel like your marriage isn't going to make it, in the moments you feel like you're never going to get the grades to get to college, in the moments you feel like your relationships are broken beyond repair, in the moments you feel like finances will never make, will never meet and will never be able to make it work. The moments in which you don't know what your career or your job looks like and those moments where we have fear that could rattle our cages, we know that we are the presence of the God of the ages with us. And so we see this here that we can talk about that and that's easy to talk about, you know, hey, when things are tough, don't be afraid. But the truth is that we will be afraid at times. We do experience fear. We do live in a world with fear around it. And we do have times that we need to hold fast to who Jesus is. And so let's continue reading in verse 10 because when we, in your notes, when we are afraid, not if, when we are afraid, we must remember the good news. What does verse 10 tell us? After he says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. The angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That this term, I will bring you good news, is a verb that is the word that we get our word for evangelism. That they're bringing good news. That in the Greek idea, I've shared it before, but it's the idea that a messenger would come and hear about a battle and a victory that was won and would go to the city with the men that were soldiers there and be like, guess what? I have good news. The victory has been won and now we are able to be free. And so the good news, the evangelism that we get to share is the good news that now the battle against death has been defeated, that the victory Jesus has won and that we can truly be set free. We look at evangelism as a burden we have to bear because it seems hard. 
When we could look at evangelism as the great news we get to share because his yoke is easy. And so the, the angel in verse 10 is the gospel's first evangelist. He's the first one who says, I bring you good news. What's the good news? This news is going to bring joy to all people. It's, it's going to create this great joy. But what is this good news? And the good news isn't a what, it's a who. The good news is that Jesus, who knew no sin and who was in the throne room of heaven, that was, in the, that was the supreme and the firstborn of all of creation, came into the frame of a person, of a baby boy, into the manger, and then he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life so we could have eternal life. That's the good news. And there are three terms that the angel uses in verse 11 that we're going to take a couple minutes to parse out because when we are feeling certain fears and certain emotions, there are three terms that we could use and hold on to that aren't just terms about Jesus, but they're his character and who he is, and he's, that brings us peace in the midst of fear. So the first one that we see here, let me read verse 11, says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So let's parse out those three words together. When you and I, when we feel helpless in your notes, we trust Jesus as Savior. When we feel helpless, we trust Jesus as Savior. The word for Savior in the Greek is, is this idea of a deliverer, a rescuer, someone who can do something for us that we cannot do for our own, on our own, that we think about this idea of if, if I get a cut, you know, I can, I can put a little ointment on there and I could put band-aids on. Um, if I, you know, stub a toe or, or hurt an ankle, I can wrap my leg around. If uh, I get stitches, you know, I do not approve this. If I was in the middle of nowhere, there are no doctors around, I could probably like shoelace that thing together. I do not approve. I'm just saying. You're all thinking shoelaces. That's a very thick choice. I'm sorry. Um, but here's the thing. You can't do that, right? But here's the thing. One thing I cannot do if I'm in need of, of help with health, I can't give myself mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. I need another person to be able to do that for me. I need someone other, another that can do that because I can't do that for myself. We can't do that for ourselves. We need to recognize that we can give a lot during the Christmas season. We can be really generous. We can be good people who you know, don't lie unless we have to or try our best to, to be nice to everyone. We can do good things, but no amount of good things will ever allow us to be made righteous and right before a good God. And so we need resuscitation. We need a savior, someone other than ourselves to come and take our place. And when we are helpless and we just feel like we, we can't do it, we can't save, we can't do this, we call out to Jesus as our savior. We call out because he is the one who saves. He is our deliverer. He is our helper. He is the one that saves us when we cannot save ourselves. The next part of your notes says, not just when we are helpless, but when we feel hopeless, we trust Jesus as Messiah. Now, last week, we spent the whole sermon about despair and hopelessness for moving from despair to hope. And so I'm not going to spend the entire uh, sermon or a lot of time on this section since we can refer to last week's message if you like. But 
the idea here to hold on to is this idea that when we feel like we are surrounded with these tough questions and doubts and worries and, and we feel like we're crying out to God, but we don't hear a response. Or we feel like our prayer we've asked for for years hasn't come to fruition. And it would be easy for you and easy for me and easy for us to feel like we've been forgotten by God. I mean, we talked about it last year, this idea, or sorry, last week, that there had been hundreds of years that God's people hadn't heard from him. That we see how in, in Egypt that it was like, oh, God remembered his people. We see Hannah prayed to have Samuel and, and God remembered her. It doesn't mean that he actually forgot about her, but it can feel like we've been forgotten when the darkness still pervades and we haven't seen any hope or light. But the reason we can hold on to Messiah in that is that the people that have known that they are God's special people, that he said, hey, listen, I know right now that you're in Egypt, but there's a Messiah that's going to come. I know that you're surrounded by the Philistines and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Tibetites and all of the ites, and, but there's going to be a Messiah who's coming. Listen, I know that the Assyrians are coming and, and you're going to have to be cast into exile, but there's a Messiah that's coming. And, oh, I know that the Babylonians are coming for the southern tribes and, and there's a Messiah that is coming. That There's a Messiah that is coming, that Aslan is on the move, that God is still working. So hold on to hope because the Messiah child that we read about here is proof positive that God does not forget his people. It is proof positive that God remembers us and sees us. And it is proof positive that no matter how hopeless life may seem, that God is doing things behind the scenes that would allow us to know that we could hold fast to his hope. And so when we are feeling hopeless, we can cling to Jesus, trust him as our Messiah. When we're helpless, we trust him as Savior. When we're hopeless, we trust him as Messiah. And then when we feel powerless in your notes, powerless, we trust Jesus as Lord. See, um, we, we live in a world where fear can be prevalent, right? I mean, I have my phone pops up with news notifications when things happen. And so, you know, you look down on your phone and you start to see just one specific thing of how many shootings there have been this year. In fact, two more this past week, right? One in Pearl Harbor and one in Florida. And those are the ones we know about. And it could create this fear of thinking, I don't want to go outside of the house. Because it could hit Pearl Harbor. It could hit Pensacola, Florida. Or it could hit... Poway, California, and, and all these things, it feels like it makes us want to hide, and it wants us to cower, and wants us to be afraid. There's a reason why when it comes to terrorism, it's called terrorism, because it wants to instill that terror in our lives to stop people from living. That this past week, when I took Shaylin to the mall at the North County, West Covina, or West Covina, I'm sorry, that's my old, anyways, uh, Westfield, North County, in Escondido, I remember, and this was the first time I really thought about it. I was like, there's a bunch of people walking around. I sat with my back to the door facing the elevator, if you can picture that right by where the Chipotle is. And I remember thinking, you know, if someone were to come into this room right now and to start firing, what would I do? 
Maybe I shouldn't have had my back to the door because now I can't see who's coming in. And, and maybe it's something where, you know, I would like to, do I run? Do I try to hide? Well, all the tables there are open because that's modern and we have no place to be able to hide behind things. What would I do if something were to happen right now? And it started to just make me think a little bit more and it's easy to give into that fear. And one of the fears I have is that I would be unable, if someone were to, you know, attack or, or try to harm our family, I would be unable to protect them. That is, a, that is a fear that I have. And, you know, I know that the stage adds like a foot and a half, but I'm only 5'8 on a good day, people. <laughs> and I don't have any martial arts training. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like I'm not prepared to protect my family. And that is a legitimate fear. And yet, I may feel powerless. I may try to worry my way through a plan. But when we feel powerless, we need to hold fast to Jesus as he who has all the power. That that word, when he says he's Lord, it's, it's a word kurios in Greek. It's this idea that when it says in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord came, it's that same word, angel of the Lord, saying angel of God Jesus is God. It's that same word connected there. So what it shows us is this is a proclamation of Jesus's divinity, of who he is, not just a good moral teacher, not just a nice rabbi, not just a wise man, but he is God. He is not part God and part human, like I'm part Guamanian and part Caucasian. Like he is fully man, fully God, and he has all the power. He was there in the very beginning of the world. We look at the creation in which God created the heavens and the earth and we see the spirit hovering over the waters and we see in Colossians 1 how Jesus was right there in the midst of it, that there is nothing that has been made that has not been made in him and through Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation, the supreme of all creation and all things in him and, in, and through him have been made that which has been made. He is God and so if we are powerless, then we need to know that we have he who is most powerful with us, Emmanuel, God with us. We are in the fight of our lives and we may feel like we are facing all these trials, but no matter how big the bully or the fear we are facing, we have one who is stronger, bigger, more mightier, and greater than he who is in the world. Who, he who is in us can help us fight those battles. We have the Lord on our side. So we can cling to that when we feel powerless that he who has great power is here with us. Now, as we close in the last point of your notes there, we're talking about the good news and we're talking about not to be afraid in the darkness, not for us when we are afraid to remember the good news that Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. But we also need to take a moment here to look at who to whom does God give his favor? What does it look like to experience the, the peace and how do we get there? So in your notes, it says God's peace comes when we move past our fear and enter into his favor. What does this, what does this section say? Verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying. So again, great the heavenly host is a militaristic term. It's the, low, it's the word that we use for the angel armies that are at the disposal in the heavenly realms. And a company of angel armies gives us an idea of how many soldiers are in a company of a human army. I mean, this is not four that just came and sang a barbershop quartet with the angel of the Lord. Like this is a multitude of angels who are praising God together and saying this in verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor 
rests. Now, in the New King James Version or the King James Version, some of the older translations, the translation is, on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. That's the one that we sing often, right? So that's what we kind of think it is. And so it gives a little bit of a, um, not the most accurate depiction of what they're saying here. Because the idea is, oh, Jesus has come to give us peace and he has goodwill towards us. He, he wants us to have good things. And that's not what this passage is saying. So if you look at the NIV, which is the church Bible version, or the ESV or NASB or some of these other versions here, it doesn't say that there's just a general goodwill to men. It says that God has a goodwill. He has his favor upon those. That his favor rests upon those. And the people that receive his favor are the ones who receive his peace. And so what does this look like? What does this mean for us in our last few moments we have together? Because what does it mean to be able to say, okay, his peace comes upon those who are people who have received his favor, who are pleasing to him. And what does the book of Hebrews 11 verse 6 say is a way for us to, to know that we are pleasing God? It says Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In fact, Paul continues this idea in Romans chapter 5 when he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that, that's the dependent clause. That's, that's what's already been done. Since that's happened, now we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That the peace with God comes because we've pleased God. The pleasing of God comes because we've had faith in God. And so it's only when we receive a right relationship with God that we can experience true peace. Because we can have a world of peace that is an absence of conflict. In the same way that you can have a year of peace, of absence of conflict, but then the holidays comes and, and you know that you have different family members that are coming and, and that thing that's been kind of latent underneath the surface that you haven't been, you know, you haven't shared with your family member because you don't want to make it a big deal, but it is a big deal. And then all of a sudden it creates conflict when you see them. It's, it's this idea that we can have this absence of conflict, false peace, or we can have a right relationship with God and we can have the true peace, which is the presence of Christ in our lives. And the, the, the receiving, excuse me, the receiving of his favor. That we leave the fear that darkens our world and we receive the favor that lightens our lives. And so as we do that, we see that it's only through our true relationship with God that we can have true peace. And that, my friends, is the power and the beauty of the gospel. So... I share that, you know, sometimes you hear sermons and, and, or you prepare for a sermon and you start to get different illustrations. Well, one of the ones that I was looking at Instagram, this has happened to me uh, recently when I'm preparing for a sermon, I'll watch, a, there'll be like a little clip from another pastor that is talking about something uh, very similar. And I'm like, oh man, I must have a direct line to God because of them, you know? Um, but no, so Craig Rochelle is a great pastor who does the uh, Life Church TV um, in Oklahoma and several states. He's the one that if you have a Bible app, their church is the one that did that. And so uh, incredible impact. Uh, fantastic preacher, fantastic leader, fantastic um, just uh, man of God. But he talks about this and there's a little clip from one of his sermons that came out recently. And this is what he says, because we know we still fear, we still have worries, we still have concerns, and that can rattle our lives if we let it. 
So this is what he says. It's for you all, whatever it is right now, think about a fear that you have. Something that's causing you angst or fear or worry or concern. And then this is how Craig Rochelle responds to it. He says, some of you are worried all the time. You're a hostage to your fears. You lay awake at night, wondering, worrying. He says, here's your declaration. If that's you, here's your declaration. Because of Christ, I'm not anxious about anything. I cast my cares on God because he cares for me. I have the peace of God dwelling in my heart and ruling my mind. Then he says, write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. So when it comes to a fear of finances, we think we're not going to be able to make it. He says, well, I know that the Lord is the giver of all good gifts, that he provides for me and he gives me my daily bread. Not all the things that I want, but all the things that I need. I'm going to write it, I'm going to think it, I'm going to confess it until I believe it. Oh, there's a relationship that is so broken that I never see there being any mending. Well, we believe that there is a, a bridge builder God who is able to make a way where there is no way and I'm going to write it, I'm going to think it, I'm going to confess it until I start believing it. That we're going to think that this fear has a hold on us, this anxiety this worry, this concern is bigger than our God, but we say that God is so powerful that he, it talks about in the Old Testament how through the, the exhaling of his nostrils, that is what parted the sea, that the great power of his arm is outstretched and his hand is mighty to save. And so we look at that God and we say, I'm going to believe that that God is for me, not against me. I'm going to write it. I'm going to think it. I'm going to confess it until I believe it. And we start to train by the renewing of our minds the truths of God's scripture, which supersedes the lies of our fears. And when we do that, our lives are completely changed. Doesn't mean bad things won't happen. Doesn't mean there won't be moments of fear. But we won't be living under the shadow or darkness of fear. We'll be living in the light of God's peace. And I shared at the beginning that a, a, a mask, a glow-in-the-dark mask, is not the ideal nightlight for an eight-year-old. Well, we have a nightlight for our eight-year-old, for Shaylin, and she has, uh, it's Anna and Elsa from Frozen, Frozen 1, just to be clear, because uh, we've had it for years. Uh, but it's a Frozen nightlight, and we have a picture of it here. Um, and it's one where, like, you know, shows the faces up there. And, and so we kind of, like, we don't want it to be too bright that it keeps her awake, but, you know, we kind of have some light so that she's aware of it, that... That if we look at fear, oh sorry, excuse me, if we look at hope from last year or last week as a flickering flame, it, it, it's that that's dark around us, but it's a flickering flame that's just enough to get us to hold on and to see where we're going, then peace is like a nightlight. It, it's that which gives us in the midst of darkness an awareness that we're not alone. We could see, okay, that that toy that looks like a monster is really just a stuffed animal. I mean, it gives us the ability to turn off the dark of fear and to see the light of God's peace, and it gives peace to kids. But you and I, we, we don't have, you know, we don't want the nightlight of a glowing mask in the, in the closet, and we don't even have a nightlight that's like a little Anna and Elsa in our room. You and I, we have the nightlight that the shepherds received in the darkest of nights, we have the nightlight that was the glory of the angel saying, guess what? 
I'm the first evangelist. There is good news. That's going to bring joy to all the people that to you, born in the town of David, there is a Savior, a Messiah, Christ Jesus, the Lord, and that that is what allows us to have the nightlight and the darkness of our lives to know that God is with us. He is with you, and he is powerful beyond measure. He does not forget us, and he can save us in a way that only he can, and that is the Messiah who came. That is the Messiah who lived. That is the Messiah who died, and that is the Messiah who was raised to life so that you and I can have new life for all of eternity, that we have that nightlight that we do not need to be afraid, even in the darkness, that we are no longer hostages to our worries or our fears, we are no longer captive or uh, held captive by them, but that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we, you and me, when we give our lives to Jesus... We believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths. We are children of God. Children of God have peace because they know their daddy is with them. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and I pray that whatever fears are in this place or whatever fears are in the hearts of those who are listening online later, Lord, we pray that we would know that we are no longer slaves to those fears, God, that Because of your perfect love that drives out fear, we can believe in your love for us. We can receive that love for us and that we can give our lives to you and have your favor by believing in you and receiving a peace that surpasses all understanding. So Lord, I pray that you are stirring in hearts the peace that we all need. And I pray, Lord, throughout this week that each of us would be able to hear your word, read your word, hear your voice that reminds us to have peace that you are with us and we don't have to fear what's around us because we have Jesus with us. So God, may we remember that we are no longer slaves to fear, but that we are children of God. That is who we are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.